You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 332 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a delightful conversation with actor, writer, and film director Edward William Wasser. Right now, he's eagerly anticipating the outcome of the IMDb Film Awards because a movie he wrote and directed titled Gun has been nominated for Best Picture. Yes, he'll be going to Hollywood in uh, a week or so from when we recorded our conversation. We have a a wonderful conversation about his film, about filmmaking, about uh, various experiences and influences he's had over the years, and the challenges that come with making independent films and being an artist, and a little bit about society in the U.S. generally, and regarding more specifically politics and news and mindsets and the like. A great conversation with Edward William Wasser today in the program. We also have an EWSA titled Guns and another original piece written and read by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, titled Tyler Sex Goddesses and a poem called Bird. All of this, of course, as is always the case, is imbued infused with the energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 332 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours.
guns. The sun on this paper shines so beautifully bright as I write. I feel stoned immaculate. Thank you, Mr. Mojo Rising, for sharing such a wonderful sentiment all those years ago. Yet still, timeless. Art, heart, human soul is never retro. These are where we come from, where we instinctively seek to be. The place when given the option, the place we invariably go. As I sit in this car writing with the window open on a hilltop urban neighborhood, in front of the old Harriet Beecher Stowe Primary Schoolhouse, I watch and listen as two gentlemen a little further up this hilltop talk with one another. One standing on the public sidewalk holding the chain-link leash attached to his dog. The dog is tugging and smelling the dew-covered grass. The other gentleman, sitting atop a glider, setting on the floor of his front porch. We talk to ourselves and each other about love. Most of us would claim to be loving people, like those two gentlemen, I suppose. Maybe we love in the form of tough love. For some, that's the way it goes. For others, in the form of many hugs and kisses. Yet, we all too often, each of us and in the collective, turn our backs when aggression, confusion, fear approaches our real, our sanctum, our self-indulgence. I wonder what they taught the young ones in this old schoolhouse, how they allowed them to be. I wonder what we allow ourselves to learn, feel, and see.
Edward William Wasser, is that you? It is me. Can you hear me, Lawrence? I could hear you, yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is right. Edward William Wasser is an actor, writer, and film director based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, Edward got involved with film making as a way to get attention for his acting and has since written and appeared in the films Contrition, The Passionate Ones, and Gun, which has, by the way, won numerous Best Picture and Best Actor awards all over the United States. We'll get into that more in a bit. Edward has studied acting and theater at Barry University in Miami, Florida, also with Milton Katzelas, George DiCenzo, or DiCenzo, and Playhouse West Philadelphia. He studied writing with Academy Award-winning writer of Birdman, Alex Dean Laris. Mr. Wasser currently has a movie entitled Small Packages in Post-Production. His short film titled Gun, which he wrote and directed, is, dom is nominated for the IMDb's Best Picture Award. Edward is leaving for L.A. on August 27th to attend the gala. And we today are very happy here at Troubadours and Rock On Tours to have Edward William Wasser on the program. Again, thanks. Thanks for taking the time out. I know you're busy. No, no, no problem. And just so uh, you know, uh, Edward William Wasser is something I had to do for Screen Actors Guild, but uh, everybody calls me Ed, so you can just call me Ed. Okay, I'll call you Ed. That sounds cool. I uh, I was uh, always uh, a little skeptical about my pronunciation of certain names that are, you know, like my name, my last name is, is uh, Italian, but people say it the wrong way, and, you know, you don't know which way is the acceptable way. So I hope any of those folks that you hold in high regard, I didn't mispronounce their name. Well, two of them are no longer with us, so you're just fine. <laughs> you have a good sense of humor. Uh, I just watched Gun with my wife, and man, I can understand why it's been nominated and has won Best Picture. It's powerful. And uh, we're going to get to that. I want to talk about that film, if you don't mind. But first, give us a little bit of background so people know where you're coming from and how you got to where you are today. Well, I went to a little school in Miami called Barry University. And uh, the only reason I even walked into the theater is because uh, the introduction to acting class had kind of a reputation of being easy as long as, uh, you know, you were not shy and you were willing to get on stage uh as long as you're willing to do that you'd probably get an a in the class and and the easy way academically always appealed to me so uh because i wasn't much of a student and uh so i went there and that's where i i met these incredible artists uh including alex dean Alaris, who uh you know you said uh, he wound up winning the academy award for birdman he wrote revenant he wrote the uh, the the stage play on your feet, which is the uh, Gloria Stefan musical. Uh, he's currently writing um, uh, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, a new take on it. Amazingly talented people I've met down there. It was it was a, for a tiny school to produce such artists. You know, people that I see on television all the time. It was incredible. So one part of the the class was they made me go to a play, and the play they made me go to was Orphans by Lyle Kessler. 
It was uh, an incredibly powerful play. It was the first play I'd ever saw that had the F word in it. It was just, it was set in Philadelphia. I'm watching it in Miami. Just had an incredible impact on me. Um, and from that point on, I just kind of was hooked and I, and I uh, just always kind of wanted to pursue it. So from that point, when I graduated from Barry, I moved back to Philadelphia, and that's when I studied, started studying with George Tachenzo, who – he was a unique guy. Uh, he was uh, – um, I don't even know how to put it. He, he, was, he was a rough teacher. Um, he, was, uh, uh, he was tough. He was almost like a drill sergeant. And uh, he, had, he didn't suffer fools gladly, but it was what I needed. You know, a lot of times when you take college classes, it's a lot of, uh, oh, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you're definitely going to make it. And George was the type of guy who said, look, this business is rough, and it's going to chew you up and spit you out if you don't get a thick skin. And I needed it. And uh, George DiCenzo's uh, mentor was this guy, Milton Katsalis, who was based in Los Angeles, but he would teach in, in New York every uh, every summer for about six weeks. And I took that class, and that class was really – it was appealing because it had famous people in it. There was uh, – Michelle Williams was in the class who at the time had just done um, Dawson's Creek and Jeffrey Tambor was in the class. Uh, and it was exciting, and there, and there was a buzz in the room, and it was – you know, it was, it was really cool. And then uh, eventually I wound up at Playhouse West with a guy named Tony Savant, who uh, he's the guy who really encouraged me to get into making movies and writing. And because and, his philosophy is, and I think it's true, you have to make your own content. If you're going to sit around and wait for a job, you will die. And it's absolutely true. So he said, you, you got to get out there and, and you can't knock on the door of this thing. You got to try and kick it down. And I, that, appealed to me i thought that's that's accurate and that's what got me to where i am right now wow good very good narrative i can tell you're a writer and uh <laughs> you understand audience that was great thank you um now i i'm wondering about the power of filmmaking to you you know i mean you're not in it for the money i'd, I'd bet i mean oh no. <laughs> and and i look you know the the theme, at least in Gun, and I'm going to be looking at more of your your films now, uh, after being so impressed with Gun, is is something that has to do with um, you know an issue uh, that the United States has been struggling with issues that the United States has been struggling with for for years, and uh, you know I'm wondering if if you see the power of film as a as a means to to connect with with your fellow humans your fellow citizens or something to that effect well yeah i mean it's it's it well let me i'll tell you the origin of the story um the i was uh, talking to my friend jeff who at the time he worked at classic pistol which is the uh, gun shop we shot in uh since then um his brother has bought the place and and now they run it um but anyway we were we were sitting in this bar and he was telling me a story about a guy who came into the shop, never shot a gun before, took lessons, bought a gun, went home and committed suicide. And I said, wow, that's, that's crazy. And kind of a, as an aside, he says to me, uh, yeah, you know, uh, we got the gun back. And I said, what? 
he said, you know, he got the gun back. I said, what do you mean he got the gun back? And he said, well, you know, the family doesn't want it and then the police don't want it. So we get it back. And I said, well, what do you do with it? And he said, we just clean it off and put it right back up for sale again. Wow. Woe is right. I couldn't believe it. And I, I said, there's no way in the world that can be true. So I researched it. Not only is it true, there are collectors out there who only collect guns that have been used in suicides, which to me is just, you know, and there's people out there who will say, well, it's only an inanimate object and it, you know, it's, it's just doing its job or, or whatever. And I get that, you know, it's just a piece of metal. But I, that was just so bizarre to me that there's people like that. So that was the basis of how I started it, that, you know, there's people out there like that, that, that this is, they're into that. And then I, when I met John, who plays my son in the, the film. Yeah, you're, you're, I, I hated you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, exactly. You did a great job. So, yeah, the, when I met John, uh, who plays my son in the film, that's when the whole story kind of came together because the initial script was, it was, it could not have been more cliche. It was three suicides. The gun is kind of the star and it just follows these people. And, but when I met John, I thought, you know what? We could go a little deeper with this. We could go a little, you know, something a little bit more, uh, that's today, something that affects people. And I think a lot of people, if you, I'm, I'm sure nobody, or maybe very few people who are listening uh, have seen the film. But I'll just say this, that, um, you know, I think there's a perception, especially when you're in the arts community and you live on, you know, the East Coast in a big city like Philadelphia or Los Angeles, I think there's a perception that a lot of, um, uh, you know, anti-gay feelings, oh, that's all dead anymore. Nobody cares anymore. Well, guess what? There's people that care plenty uh, in this, uh, especially in the Midwest, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of homophobia still alive and well. So, yeah. and your the setting was in Michigan or in Michigan, uh, rural Michigan, I suppose, right? Yeah, we wanted to make it. Well, the initial thought was to put it in the South. Well, the initial initial thought was to just put it in, in Pennsylvania, but uh, Chris Newhard said it accurately. You can't have a kid in Pennsylvania who longs to go to New York because it's only a, a, an hour. Uh, train ride it's unrealistic you know it's not that far you need to make it further so that it, it's a trek to get there and um because john's character is based on a guy who i when i lived in new york he was uh, this guy mark he lived in texas and he grew up te in texas as a gay man and he was tortured absolutely tortured and the only reason he didn't commit him, he told me, he said, the only reason I didn't commit suicide, and he meant it, was because he thought there was this oasis out there. And the oasis was called New York City, that there was a city that he could go to where he would never be judged. So that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to create a, a kid trapped in Michigan thinking about New York because it's the one place where he can breathe. And I, I was just real quick, I was going to say we, were, we thought about putting it in the south. But then you have to worry about accents and different things. And the South is tough to recreate when you're in the Northeast. So we settled on Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it works. It's kind of interesting. I, over the last couple of months, I've had many guests who uh, has who have broached this subject. I, I Just two weeks ago, I had a professor from uh, one of the SUNY schools 
um, uh, Sean Edgecombe, and uh, he he was talking about how in New York City it's sort of a uh, you know a, um, an amazing uh, culture if you're you know, anything on the fringe there, it's not looked at as odd. You you can be yourself. But, you know, and he was talking in particular about uh, LGBTQ folk and how there are a lot of rural gays still in this country who have such huge challenges. And that your movie definitely addresses that. Yeah, well, that, the thing in New York, what my friend said about New York, it's not even, it's just that nobody cares. Right. You know, and, and, and you, you don't, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that you can, uh, in New York City, you can walk down a street in like a gorilla suit and nobody blinks an eye. Nobody <laughs> cares. Well, you know, Philadelphia is pretty cool too. Uh, it, oh, yeah, without question. My son uh, just graduated from the University of the Arts and I'd go down there to visit him. And basically, you know, that campus is in the neighborhood as they affectionately call the Gaberhood. Mm-hmm. And, and you you walk around and there's so there's such a um, an acceptance and a comfort level that uh, people of all sorts are showing af- affection to one another and it's you know it's just as it should be looked at as normal whereas most parts of the United States that is not going to be the case absolutely not see that that's we're lulled into this feeling of that it's like this all over the country and it absolutely is not I mean there's people in the South who are tr- still trying to win the Civil War. I mean, uh, this is very – what we have here is uh, an anomaly. It's not th- what it's really like in most places, I believe. Well, again, kudos to you for uh, addressing those issues in such a poignant way. And people, you're going to have to check out Gun to see what I'm talking about. Uh, we're talking with Edward William Wasser, the writer and director here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, and one of the actors. You'll hate him. Uh <laughs> Uh, now we we can go in so many different directions. I don't know if you want to talk more about what's you know going on with Gun. If you want to talk about a new production, or uh, generally speaking, if you'd like to get into um, some of the challenges of of making a film, how you connect uh, and direct actors, cinematographers, you know everybody involved, editors, sound, costume, so that everything comes together and 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 emulates what you envision. Well, right this second, I'll just let you know that. Uh, uh, August 29th is the ceremony for, they call it independent shorts awards, but it's, uh, it's, uh, an award ceremony by IMDB. Uh, I am, we're nominated for, for best picture, which was an amazing thrill because, uh, there's, I don't know, 30 different categories from, we didn't even get nominated best LGBT movie. We got nominated best picture period. Wow. Um, and we were the only American nomination nominee. The other nominee is from the UK, and the other nominee is from uh, Germany. Wow. So uh, this is very exciting. I mean, I've never been through this where they are. Uh, I've never been courted to attend to anything. <laughs> like I've been courted for this, and it's it's just really exciting, and it's it's really cool, and. Um, and it's cool that people are getting it, you know, I, cause I'm a, I'm a straight guy and I wrote this script and I was, and I was wondering if people who were gay were going to be into it, if they were going to like it, if they were going to hate it or what. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, to be accepted by them and then they all liked it. So it's, it's been quite a thrill. 
So that's the reason, I guess, it it is resonating mainly. It's it's about the 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 struggles, the the, the difficulty when uh, someone is not heterosexual and not you know falling into normal categories. That's what's compelling people. How you dealt with that subject, those challenges. Well, well I, I I attended a uh, I exchanged emails with a guy who. Uh, he had a festival in Chicago. Uh, uh, the name escapes me right now, but it was a, a really famous gay and lesbian film festival. We exchanged emails for, I don't know, a month and a half or so. And I get to the to the festival in Chicago, and I see him. I, he's wearing a name tag, so I, I know who he is. And I went over and I introduced myself, and 30 seconds into speaking, he says to me, You're straight? And I <laughs> said, uh, yeah. And he said, oh, my God, I had no idea. I goes, I could have swore you were gay. I was like, no, <laughs> no. So, yeah, to to tackle that subject and be accepted by them was, you know, like I said, it's quite a thrill. I mean, that uh, nobody has scoffed yet. And um, in fact, quite the opposite. You know, I, I've been welcomed into that community. So it's it's been pretty cool. Well, if you did it the wrong way, you wouldn't have been, you know, yeah, I mean, right. Yeah. You must have addressed the the issues in in a way that uh, uh, those folks who are indeed experiencing those issues felt was uh, fair and and sensitive and thoughtful and and, and and so yeah good work. Now I mean it's a human issue. That's why you're just being a good human. Well, that's exactly right. I mean the thing with the character of, who plays my son. Everybody can relate to being somewhere where they don't want to be. Everybody can relate to being the outsider, especially if you're an artist. You know, I most artists, including myself, but I have to work a day job, and and I walk in there every morning, and I think I don't belong here. These are not my people. And then I go to acting class, or I go to a film festival, and I say, these are my people. You know, I, uh, and I'm not saying anything against people who are you know, who are not artistic or whatever. It's not about that. It's just, we don't connect, you know? So I think everybody can relate to John's character on that level where you just are somewhere you, you don't belong there and you can't get out. It's a horrible feeling. So I think that's what people relate to. And then the politician character, I think people can relate to, you know, not a lot of artists are like this. They are not able to express who they really are for some unknown reason. You know, a lot of parents, when they say, uh, you, if you tell you, if you're a kid, you tell your, your parent, Hey, look, uh, I think I might be gay or whatever. They're going to freak out sometimes. So the politician is about stifling who you really are and living and, and just, and living inside that bubble and yearning to get out. And then when it does get out, sometimes it backfires on you. Well, speaking of politicians having to stifle who you really are, I mean, that's another subject area that we can get into as citizens of these United States. So that's part, part of the reason we don't have good politicians. <laughs> you, know? you are exactly right, because they don't want everybody into their business. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Right. And those who might, in essence, be good people... They once they decide they're going to be successful politicians in the way it works now, the system, they have to give up a lot of maybe what they would do otherwise just to make sure they get enough support by the mainstream so that they can keep their position. It's terrible. Yeah, and you're asking your family to do the same thing, and they didn't sign up for this. 
you know, and your children, they're going to go through what your children are up to. And then they did, like I said, they didn't sign up for that. So most people are said, you know what, I'm going, I'm going in another direction. Right. Right. Yeah. Pete Buttigieg, he's, he's always, uh, well, he's never tried to hide it. I, well, no, I guess he did. He did try to hide it for a while. He was in the military. Yeah, that's right. When he was in the military, he had, he had to hide it. Uh, but you know, he's, it has, it has changed a lot, you know, but still, a lot more to, to, to be done in that area. In a minute, so many areas here. Right now, I, I, I presume you're not happy with, uh, generally speaking, the, the way our, our country is going uh, at the federal level. Um, maybe I'm wrong, and if so, I apologize for being presumptuous. But uh, well, know, I think if anybody who is happy right now, regardless of where you stand, uh, that would be shocking to me. <laughs> uh, uh, even if you're, like I said, you're the staunchest Republican, if you could turn on the news and be happy, wow. <laughs> okay, good for you, I guess. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and, and the arts, you know, that the, where I was going with that is, I think all too often, in, we're, we're, the things that you're exploring through your art, through film, through a movie like Gun, are the real issues that and you know human depths that we all struggle with as you said a little while ago everybody can relate most everybody can relate to not feeling like they fit in and trying to figure out who they are and and we try to like smooth over all that all too often when we get on a grander scale and you know at the at the federal level you know in Washington in Congress and how are we ever going to really address who we are as people, especially in this diverse society that is, you know, so wonderfully uh, alive here in the United States of America if we try to suppress and smooth over? No, well, because the politicians are people uh, as a as a, a generality. These are people that have never had a situation where they didn't fit in because they are always around their own kind. They're always in a country club. They're always at Harvard. They're always in some private skull and bones type thing where everybody looks alike. Everybody dresses alike. Everybody wears the wingtip shoes and they're never in an uncomfortable situation ever. I mean, these are people whose hands have never done one hard bit of work in their lives. So, and then they become politicians and then they can't relate to uh, somebody who can't pay rent, they can't relate to uh, certain struggles and, and whatever. Their idea of not fitting in is when their car breaks down and they're forced to eat McDonald's. Um, yeah, that's uh, – they're not really uh, – most politicians, it's changing. I'll give them that. It's changing. But for the most part, the politicians are the Kennedys and those types of fam families that are zillionaires. Can't relate to the common guy. No. And how are you, as an artist, are you trying to, through your art, affect change? Are you just trying to, you know, get through and express yourself, you know, in, any, in the way that you know, the way that you feel? Well, I, this movie was not intended to really be a political thing. Um, it was, uh, when I started writing it, uh, it was uh, it seemed pretty clear that Hillary Clinton was going to be president. So um, we started filming in uh, 2017 when uh, Trump had just kind of started. And uh, but yeah, it wasn't meant to be a political thing. But I, I guess, man, I hit it was the right message at the right time because when I started putting it on the film festivals. 
people were gobbling it up left and right. And it was just, you know, I, I'm just a guy trying to make it as, as, as a, as an actor and, and, and an artist. Cause I have something to say, but I, like I said, I just lucked out. Uh, maybe the, I just lucked out that what was going on politically was going on when the movie came out. If this movie came out when Obama was president, maybe people would have been like, eh, that was pretty good. You know, but the fact that it came out when it did, that's that's what I think I kind of lucked out with. And what about guns? I mean, are you um, you 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 sort of uh, mentioned that you you're a gun uh, user, right? You? No, I'm not, I wouldn't. I'm not a not a gun owner. I have shot, and I've enjoyed it. And my friends uh, are gun enthusiasts. Uh, I I I am not anti-gun. Um, I'm anti you know, uh, these crazy people having guns. Um, but the logical next question is how do you stop it? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I, it's, 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 it's a tough issue. It's a very, very difficult issue. And if I'm running for Congress, I'll swear I have an answer, but I, I, I think the, the country right now is so polarized. There needs to be some basic common sense rule that says if you have, uh, uh, you know, a rap sheet longer in Al Capone's, if you've been in and out of, of uh, psychiatric facilities for years and years and years, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to get a gun. But of course, you bring that up to the one side, they freak out. And then the other side freaks out. And it just seems like compromises been thrown out the window. So but yeah, uh, I, I'm like I said, I'm not an anti gun. I certainly never protested. I have shot. My grandfather was a hunter and, and that type of thing. So it would be hypocritical for me to say I'm anti-gun because I have embraced it in the past. What about folks that on that one issue, they make their decisions, uh, you know, on any one issue um, to, to support or not support a, a particular uh, group or, or politician. Did, what do you think of that? I mean, how, how well, does, it, first of all, if you're all one way or you're all the other way, you got, you're, you're, you're just stupid. Um, if you're wildly conservative on every single issue, then you're an idiot. If you're wildly liberal on every single issue, then you're an idiot. Like Chris Rock put it best. He said, you know, uh, on taxes and finances, I'm conservative. He said, you know, prostitution and gay marriage, I'm liberal. Uh, that's the way everybody should be. There should be, you know, uh, things that you're liberal about and things you're conservative about. Violent crime, I'm conservative about violent crime. Gay issues, obviously, I'm pretty liberal about. The arts, I'm obviously pretty liberal about. So you should be one way or the other, but that doesn't exist anymore. You know, you have two television networks currently uh, devoted, one to the super left, one to the super right. <laughs> and you have nobody who says, hey, why don't we just get in the middle? But that would be boring and nobody would watch it. So, Yeah, it's not about facts. It's not about analysis. It's about... It's Attention and raising people's uh, blood pressure. Right, exactly, exactly. Now, what projects are you working on? I, I mentioned earlier that you have something in post production. Is that was that accurate? Yeah, but that that was it's it's a short comedy that I did. Uh, should be. I'm, I'm just going to release that one on uh, online. You know, just kind of uh, probably partner up with a uh, one of the comedy pages on social media and then you know pay to advertise a little bit it's uh that one's 
it, I'm, I'm not saying that's, I'm not proud of it, but the message is kind of kind of silly. But the next one I want to do is called uh, Leopards, and that one is about uh, how it's about alcoholism, and it, it's I'm coming at it from a stance that you know what sometimes alcoholism wins. You know, you watch different. I, I'm sick of watching uh, unrealistic TV shows and movies where they portray alcoholism and drug use, and the end is always he walks in the rehab, and the implication is he kicked it. Well, guess what? Eighty something five percent of the time, you go right back to it. So it's unrealistic. So this is going to be a movie where it explores alcoholism, and alcoholism wins. Is it so, going to be a short or full length? Yeah, it, no, it's going to be a short. Um, I Right this minute, well, I certainly don't have the funds for it. I, I, I definitely want to get into the full length business. Uh, but it, it's it's a rough business to get into because you know, you're asking people to work for free. And then they have their own schedules. And I have my own schedules. And, and you know, Chris Newhart, who unfortunately couldn't be here today, he has his own schedule. You know, he he makes um, uh, he may, he does this for a living. Um, whether it be corporate videos or whether it be uh, short films for other people or whether it be commercials, you name it, he does this for a living. And he jumps on an airplane the way you and I jump in a car. You know, he was just was in San Francisco for three days, and then he comes back, and then he's going to Sydney, Australia. It's it's crazy. So you you to do a full length, you need to to pin all those people down. For a good six to eight weeks. And Chris and, was what your cinematographer? Yes, and he's he's a very very dear friend of mine, and uh, yeah, he was the DP on this, and uh, he's an, an amazingly talented. Uh, but yeah, so to do a full length, you've got to pin all these people down for a good six weeks, and get people to work for free, and 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 not to mention the expense and and whatever. It's difficult. But what I should do and I will do is I would like to expand the script for Gun to make it a full length. Um, what I'm, you know, obviously it would be great if somebody says, hey, I like your story. Uh, is it for sale? I said, as a matter of fact, it is. <laughs> so that would be nice. But uh, yeah, I would like to get into the full length business. But right now I'm stuck in the, in the world of shorts. Well, again, Gun was amazingly powerful. I wish you the best at the IMDb uh, Film Awards. Again, nominated for Best Picture, Edward William Wasser, writer and director. And uh, it's great and having just, you. On the, go ahead. Yeah, so people know, we're actually going to release Gun online September 1st, which is a Sunday, because yeah. it's, it's been in the uh, film festival world for a long time, and we were going to release it earlier, but when this award came out, um, the big thing is with film festivals is you cannot uh, have something available for free that they want to charge money to get people to come in and see, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. So once this is over, September 1st, which is a Sunday, that morning we're going to release it online. Um, so anybody who would like to see it, just put in Edward William Wasser in, in um, the uh, search in YouTube, and you can check it out for yourself. Or you could come to the awards, independent um an independent shorts award raleigh studios in hollywood california yeah I'll, I'll, I'll be out there i'll see you we'll have a drink yeah okay edward william wasser's the name type it in you'll you'll be able to find his work and uh it was great talking with you on troubadours and rock on tours thanks for taking the time out hey thanks for having me 
Have a good one. All right, you too. Fate of the Sex Goddess by Parker Tyler, originally published in 1968. What, by virtue of the movies, is a sex goddess? It is easy to point, say, to Sophia Loren, imagine her quite naked, as may be done without the camera's assistance, and have the right answer. But Miss Loren's case is relatively simple and unaffected. The matter, with regard to the movie's history of sex, is too complex for mere pointing. The sex goddess's mutation, starting with the celebrated vampire, is something to arrest and fascinate movie buffs and other susceptible scholars. Its ups and downs, turnabouts and triumphs, take on cosmic dimensions. Going in as straight a line as possible, from Theta Barrow to Greta Garbo, one's wits are staggered by so vast a change visible in one stroke of the imagination and that stroke takes us only to 1941. Technically, Garbo is a direct descendant of her distant Hollywood predecessor, the fatal queen of love and ruler of man, which a sex goddess is, 
or was, supposed to be. I change the tense, and there's the rub. For whatever reasons, a sharp decline of divine dimensions in nominal sex goddesses has come about. It is, is as if sex and goddess were terms that, idiomatically, no longer agreed. Take the case of one who bore a notable physical resemblance to Sophia Loren, Jane Russell, a goddess ephemeral and now long extinct. Miss Russell was two great breasts mounted upon a human pedestal with a doll's head to top it off. Besides being no actress at all, which Loren, after all, is, Russell was hardly a sound recipe for a sex goddess. Her peculiar weakness may have lain in the very fact that a California judge, passing on the claim that her film, The Outlaw, was obscene, owing largely to her salient and partly exposed memory equipment, decided that any God-given, such as breasts, could not be obscene. Goddesses, by definition, are beyond the law, but voluptuous breasts are but the window-dressing of sex divinity. Jane represented one of the last historic efforts to invent a great personality on the basis of sex appeal alone. Plausibly, the physical dimensions of sex goddesses first tended to be ample. Theta Barrow had a maternal figure. She was, in fact, remarkably like a suburban housewife circa World War I, bitten by the glamour bug into imagining herself supreme seductress of men, and by some weird turn of fate succeeding at it. Today, an Elizabeth Taylor who succeeds through her proportions and personality start by being those of the reigning office minx, from whom neither president of the company nor errand boy is safe. But another weird turn of fate, by another weird turn of fate, we get instead, in this actress, a universal Miss Sexpot, for a sex goddess one is obliged to call that a come-down. Nowadays, sex goddessing is more a trade than something, as it were, acquired by divine privilege. Another Italian star, Gina Lollobrigida, oddly resembles Miss Taylor, although she is better looking. Lollobrigida is simply Sophie, Sophia Loren, seen a few paces further off, a sort of reproduction in minor scale. But big and beautiful as La Loren is, we must face the fact that sheer majesty in the female body has become, historically, badly compromised as a glamour asset. Being a sex goddess has nothing whatsoever to do with the sexual act as such. Getting laid is a strictly human, quite unglamorous occupation. Mediating between Barrow and Garbo, May West turned up as an eccentric, utterly unexpected manifestation of sex divinity. Like the old gods of the Greek plays, she appeared with the primal authority of, Here I am! Part of the majesty of May's corseted figure, hefty of hip and bosom, was its anachronism. She duplicated the physical image of the late 19th century stage, where even chorus, chorus girls were girthy. The very pathos of distance helped make West a goddess, and historic. I confess to having been, in 1944, the first to describe what her style owed to the female impersonator. Just about everything basic. A true parody of sex divinity, May was the opposite of the classic vampire because she aimed at both being funny 
and good-natured, qualities more plebeian than royal or divine. I, for one, think it an awful fate that the grand pro profession of sex goddessing should have sunk to the petty profession of sex shoddessing. The robotizing trend of female charms, against which only the cartoon pair of Playboy FTC seems holding out, must not be underrated. Think, ladies and gentlemen, the supreme goal of male propulsion, as foreseen in 2001, a space odyssey, is a geometric black slab with unproved sexual capacities. Theta Bearer would, tacitly, be more negotiable than that, and shapelier. Come to think of it, Marilyn Monroe came along in those fidgety fifties and altered the whole setup. There was something genuine about her, and really pathetic, as if she were all too human to exercise the great craft of queening it for the tradition. We know what finally happened to her. Maybe she was the last goddess actually seeming to be made out of flesh rather than foam rubber. Something to sleep with, not on. And that was probably her fatal mistake. Goddesses are to be slept about. When the little blue bird Who has never said a word Starts to sing Spring, spring When the little blue bell In the bottom of the dell Starts to ring ding, ding When the little blue clerk In the middle of his work Starts a tune to the moon up above It is nature, that's all Simply telling us to fall in love And that's why Birds do it, bees do it Even educated fleas do it Let's do it, let's fall in love In Spain the best upper sets do it Lithuanians and let's do it Let's do it, let's fall in love The Dutch in old Amsterdam do it Not to mention the Finns Folks in Siam do it Think of Siamese twins Some Argentines without means do it people say in boston even beans do it let's do it let's fall in love romantic sponges they say do it oysters down in oyster bay do it let's do it let's fall Cod clams against their wish, do it. Even lazy jellyfish, do it. Let's do it, let's fall in love. 
Electric eels I might add do it Though it shocks them I know Why ask if shad do it Way to bring me shad row in shallow shoals English souls do it Goldfish in the privacy of bowls do it Let's do it, let's fall in love Bird How does the caged bird sing? Poet Angelou knew. One sings because they must. Through the outside world's misplaced trust and misunderstood lust. As it sleeps in the underbrush, the dank brown leaves of cynicism and empty thrusts into the dust. The caged bird sings on a road trip to nirvana or bust. Guitar of mic, please. Guitar mic. Freedom, 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 freedom. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child Sometimes I feel like a motherless child Sometimes I feel like a motherless child Alone from my home, yeah, yeah, love. Singing freedom, 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 freedom. Sometimes I feel like I'm old. And there you have it, episode 332 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. 
with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. And I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Edward William Wasser. I also would like to thank our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, and these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, The Rolling Stones, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, David Gray, Cole Porter, Richie Havens, and of course Brentford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard too. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one.